you have your Bibles, open them with me. We're going to be spending a majority of our time this morning in the Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 84. Uh, and uh, just excited to be able to do that with you. I've already prayed, so I'm just going to launch. I, uh, I finally got our Christmas tree up on Monday. Thank you very much. I was hoping to put it off right until the week before, just so you know. That was my goal. Uh, but at 9.30 Monday night, Eleanor announced to myself and my son Cooper that the tree was coming down from the attic. It's my least favorite part of Christmas, to be honest with you, is hauling all the crud out of the attic. Is anybody with me on that? It's like, come on, really? Can't we have Christmas without the tree? Apparently not, just so you know. So down it came, and uh, we, and by we, I mean they, went through the process of uh, decorating the tree. I just kind of sat there in my chair and watched but there is something great about uh, that, those final moments of the tree being lit and the, and the ornaments going on, at least in our house. It's like, it's like the, uh, the, the inauguration of the season. It's the beginning uh, of, of the Christmas season. Eleanor had the Christmas music on. And uh, for the first time this month, I actually felt like maybe it was Christmas. I grew up in the Northeast. Christmas is usually associated, for those of us from up there, with cold. And so it's, just, uh, it's different for me to be you know, walking around in short sleeves and in, a, in shorts and, and, and to really think it's Christmas. But that tree, that tree, uh, albeit a, 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 you know, just a, a symbol of, of a thing that we have you know, traditionally observed in, here in America and other countries, it has nothing to do with the actual Christmas, but uh, that tree kind of gets me going. Is everybody with me on that? So I'm grateful. But here in our, our, our church, we don't need trees. Hopefully we don't need trees or uh, whatever these are. What are these called? Yeah, those things. Uh, we don't need trimmings to understand the importance of this day called Christmas. Uh, because Christmas, it's not about the trimmings. Those are fine. Have them. But Christmas is a commemoration. It's a celebration of the big day that proceeds to be the, the bigger day. And here's what I mean by that. In, in, in the Christian life or in the Christian calendar, there are two big days. The biggest, I would say, is Easter. Because without the resurrection of our son, Jesus Christ, there's no Christianity. We should just all go home. But the big day that leads to that big day is Christmas, because without Christ being born and living on this earth, without God being with us, as we're going to study this month, uh, his sacrifice and resurrection never occur. Uh, we're going to talk about the omnipresence, the ever-presence of our God with us as we celebrate Christmas this year. Uh, the Bible talks about Christmas in a couple of the books that uh, you and I read in our Bibles. Uh, uh, Matthew and, and Luke are the Gospels that s explain most to us about what happened at those times. And so as we talk about God being with us in our pain today, let's, let's start with the story of Christmas in the book of Matthew. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Luke fills in more of the blanks here. God sent an angel to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to be the mother of my son, and it's just going to be like the prophet said. And the angel said, don't worry, and, and gave her signs. She went and saw her cousin Elizabeth. Read it. It's all in the first couple chapters of the book of Luke. Uh, but uh, uh, he's going <laughs> to, God is going to speak to Mary's betrothed, her, her fiance. She's not yet married, uh, but uh, her husband here, it says, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. We don't hear much about uh, this Joseph who would be the, the father, uh, earthly father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but, but here we get a couple of descriptors. He's a just man, he's a merciful man, he's unwilling to put Mary, uh, his betrothed, his fiance, to shame. And so he's just gonna try to take care of this uh, very uncomfortable situation quietly. Uh, in verse 20, we find out that 
Uh, he's considering these things, and, and behold, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. He's, he says to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Same message. Maybe you've seen the same angel that came and visited Mary, uh, visits Joseph in his dream. It goes on to say this, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what the word Jesus means. It's a combination uh, of Je, Jehovah, or Ye, Jehovah. His actual name is Yeshua. If you're named Josh in here, you share the same name as Jesus, uh, Joshua or Yeshua. But Yeshua, or Jesus, means Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. That's Jesus' name. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Who's grateful for that? Anybody grateful for that? Yeah. Goes on and it says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, speaking uh, uh, here in quoting actually uh, Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. It says, behold, the virgin shall conceive, that's Mary, and bear a son, that's Jesus, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Here with an I, uh, some translations use the Hebrew rendering of the word Emmanuel, which they start with an I, and other translations start with a Greek rendering, uh, and they start with an E. That's why we got an E-manual on our bulletins. Uh, but either case, it still means the same thing, Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. That's our Jesus. He's with us. Lots of other things, but he's with us. He's got lots of names. Some people might be reading this and thinking, wait a minute, I thought you were supposed to call him Jesus, but here the prophet says you're supposed to call him Emmanuel. Uh, can we all agree that Jesus has lots of names? Like he calls himself lots of, things, lots of things even in his teaching. I'm the bread of life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. Uh, and Jesus speaks of himself, gives himself titles that basically help us understand and clarify who he is. Here the, uh, the prophet is saying, that this child who will be born will be Emmanuel. He'll be God with us. It's a descriptor of who he is. We know it's God's, uh, God is with us. And, and today, as we start this series, uh, we're going to start by talking about God's with us in our pain. But God's with us in so many things, and we'll be covering a lot of these things uh, throughout the month. God's with us in our folly. I was going to say God's with us in our stupid, but I thought that'd be too blunt. But he is. As we make mistakes, he stands by us and he leads us out of them. You know, he's with us in our fears. He's with us in our confusion. And he's with us always. We're going to be talking about all these things. But, but God is with us. You know, one of my favorite things, we sang about it a couple times in our singing this morning. One of my favorite things about uh, the, the big day that is uh, coming after this big day called Christmas. And my, my favorite thing about Easter uh, is, is not the death of Christ. I think that's terribly tragic and horrible that he had to go through that on our behalf. I'm glad he did. But my favorite thing about Easter is the account uh, that the Bible tells us that the, the curtain in the Holy of Holies of the temple was ripped from uh, ceiling to floor. It just ripped right in half. This huge, thick curtain, thick, thick cloth. God just uh, symbolically tears it in half. And he does this, tore the veil, as we sang in our songs, to show that his presence on earth will no longer reside in a building, in a curtain space inside a temple. 1 Corinthians tells us that you and I, if we are in Christ, we have become the temples of the Holy Spirit, and that God indeed is with us. He's in us, and we are in him. Last week, we talked from Ephesians, and we'll get back to Ephesians in the new year, 
But we talked as Paul prayed for his friends in Ephesus. He says this, I pray that you might have the, the strength of the power of the Holy Spirit, that he might strengthen you so that Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith. He says, listen, I, I want you to understand that Christ is in you and he is meant to lead you. That's what that word dwell means. He's meant to be the boss of you as you go through life. He's in you so that he can guide you into the life he has for you. He's in you so that he can guide you, as we talk today, about, uh, through your pain. Uh, the psalmist talks about this in lots of different ways. We're going to get to Psalm 84 in a second, but here in Psalm 46, same authors, these guys that are called the sons of Korah. Uh, David wrote most of your psalms, uh, but every once in a while there's uh, contributions by other psalmists, and one of them is these sons of Korah. They, you know, they write several psalms, and, and here in one of their psalms, I'll, I'll explain who they are in a second, but they wrote this. They wrote, God is our refuge and our strength. He's a very present help in trouble. I grew up uh, reading the King James Version, if you can go back for me, and so where it says a very present, my, my, my learning of this was ever present. Anybody heard that? Yeah, ever present help in time of trouble. The word, the Hebrew there uh, can actually mean very, like extreme help or, or uh, over the top help, but it can also mean constant. And so uh, I'm going to, you know, make the Mark translation here. God is our refuge and strength, our very always present help. In trouble. Isn't that, a great, isn't that a great descriptor of God? He's a very always God. Like he's a very always God in that he's, all, he's always here, he's never going to leave, he's never going to forsake, and he's always blessing way more than we deserve. He's always providing. He's an excessive God. A very always present help in trouble. Therefore, it says in verse 2, we will not fear Though the earth gives away, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters uh, roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah is a pause. The psalmist would use it to kind of just give you a second to soak that up. And it's pretty profound what the psalmist had just written there. God's our refuge and our strength. No matter if the world crumbles, the apocalypse comes, he's still all that we need. He goes on and says some more great things, but in Psalm 46, verse 7, these psalmists write, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our forest. forest. Yeah, that too. He's our fortress. And one more time, he says, Selah, soak that up. Yeah. Aren't you glad that, glad that God's with us in general? Aren't you glad that God is with us in our hard times, in our pain, in our sorrow? want to in this, ser in this sermon and in the other sermons that I preached through this month, I want to talk about some Emmanuel implications, uh, some things that we should uh, think and do in, in light of the fact that God is with us. Three things here from the book of uh, Psalms, chapter 84, the first one being this. Uh, God is with me, so I'll make a fuss about him, uh, him being with me. I'll, I'll make a fuss about being with him. If, if God is with me, that's great. That's awesome. I have so much because of that. But in light of that, I'm going to make a fuss about him. We, we, we choose to make fusses about certain things. Things that trip my trigger may not trip yours. Uh, but, but when we see something that excites us, does anybody get fussed out about it? Yeah. Uh, even people that we meet. Some people you meet might just be, wow, that's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And you take selfies with them for proof that you were in their presence, right? And for others, we'd be like, huh? Like my son went to... Seattle last year, uh, Cooper is uh, into these comic cons, these conventions where they dress up like their favorite video game 
players and stuff like that. Don't understand it at all, but God bless them, have fun, right? And, uh, and he goes out there with his buddies, and they have a great time in Seattle. And uh, he's walking through this convention center, 5,000, 6,000 people hanging out, you know, uh, of like mind. And he sees this guy from YouTube. YouTube is taking over the world. And uh, YouTube has these, you know, celebrities on it. And, and these certain people have their own channels. And this one guy, his name's Josh Scorcher. Nope, me neither. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Cooper sees this guy, and, and this guy is leading kind of a breakout session at this convention, and, and, uh, and, and Cooper's just bold. He just doesn't have any you know, fear, and so he just walks right up to this guy, and he engages this guy in a conversation after this session for like 20, 25 minutes, and gets, you know, this, uh, this whole, and, and it's, the, it's the highlight of his year. He met Josh Scorcher. He comes home, and he shows me all these pictures of this random dude. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> but he'll never erase those photos. Why? Because he esteems this YouTube guy, and he's going to make a fuss about him. Hey, Christians, can we all agree that there's no one in existence worth more of a fuss than the God who is with us? And that we should probably let our, our, our minds and our hearts and our faces know that on a daily basis, because we get fussed out positively, sometimes negatively about all kinds of things, but we should live in this constant awe of the God that is with us. The sons of Korah did. That's, that's who wrote this psalm. Uh, they wrote this. They said, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. How lovely it is to be a, 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 a part of your temple scene. Here's, here's where the sons of Korah were. They were actually Levites. And in uh, First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, it kind of tells us what their role was in the temple. They were in charge of the west side gates. Um, doorkeepers, as we're going to le- read later on in the psalm. Uh, doorkeepers was, you know, kind of what you picture. You know, they'd open the door for people as they were coming to the temple. But they also had other duties. They were janitors. Uh, they were made to make sure that the temple was clean on their side of the temple. Uh, but these guys, they didn't care. They didn't, didn't matter to them that they had this more menial task and that the other Levites were, you know, granted the, uh, the, the blessing of being a part of the Holy of Holies and other parts of the worship. They were, they were, just, they were just so ecstatic to be at the temple in the presence of God that they wrote this song. How lovely is your dwelling place. How lovely it is to be in your presence, O Lord of hosts. My soul, they say, longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord, and my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. They go to the the totality of a person. They talk about their heart and their soul and their, their physical being, their flesh. He says, everything in me just freaks out over who you are and what you've done. I remember watching uh, Black and White uh, you know, film of the, the Beatles coming to America. And the thing that they always say is that the teenage girls who went to their shows just couldn't stay awake. They always, you know, they'd all faint. You see them being carried out by, you know, security guards as soon as they start, you know, cord one. I'm like, girls, settle down. It's four guys from Liverpool. I mean, the songs are good. I, still, I think they still hold up today. But, you know, don't faint. But sometimes you get so caught up in your excitement, so caught up in your adulation, that uh, you just can't stay conscious. That's what the sons of Korah said. They said, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. What a great description of how singing should look in the church. You should sing with your flesh, with your voice, opening your mouth, moving your lips, but you should sing from your heart. And someday I'm going to put cameras up here so you can all see how you look while you're singing. 
Because a lot of times, people sing with their flesh, their bodies, but their faces tell a very different story from the words that they're singing, right? Lord, you're mighty. Lord, you're mighty. Lord, you're mighty. Lord, you're mighty. Yeah, lips are moving, hearts not engaged. When we sing praises to God, we sing from a well that overflows with appreciation and admiration and adoration. It'd be like going to a birthday party and singing happy birthday with a scowl on your face. Happy birthday to you, loser. Happy birthday. I mean, <clears throat> and you've been at that birthday party. You didn't want to be there, right? Just there for the cake, just trying to get some cake. That's all you were doing. <laughs> yeah. These sons of Korah goes on, they, they, they say this, they say, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow of a, a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my king and my God. We're going birds here. Psalms are poetry. He's going to get all poetic. Talk about some birds. Uh, he's very uh, specific, though. He, he chooses sparrows and swallows, uh, both representing uh, certain things in the minds of his readers Sparrows would have been seen as these worthless, meaningless birds. Jesus actually talked about them as he was uh, teaching uh, from time to time. He was uh, here in Matthew 10 talking about how, uh, hey, it's going to be hard for you. He starts his little speech here by saying, hey, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst the wolves. Beware. Uh, be as wise as serpents and gentle as doves. That's how he starts this little speech that he's giving. Uh, halfway through, though, he says this, hey, but, but don't worry. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be tough out there. The world's going to be difficult to be a Christian in, but here's, here's the good news. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Just so you know, if you went on Amazon back then and you wanted to buy a couple sparrows, it only cost a penny. What a deal, and they'll take them right to your house. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of those sparrows will fall to the ground apart from your father's bidding. What's, what's Jesus saying? His eye is on the sparrow. Hey, that'd be a great song. His eye is on the sparrow. He's in control of the most meaningless and minute of all creatures. He cares for them. He goes on and he says one of the favorite verses that I think Jesus ever said. I even know the, the number of hairs on your head. I've numbered them all. Can you imagine how long that would take? Some of us, not long at all. <laughs> but others, yeah, that's just a task. And God, what's Jesus saying? God doesn't just kind of know you. He isn't just sort of with you. He is intimately engaged in everything that goes on in your existence. Jesus finishes and he says, fear not, therefore, because you are more valuable than many sparrows. If God's taking care of the birds, how much more is he going to care for those that he's created in his image, those that he loves yeah, the sons of Korah say, even the sparrow finds a home. Even the, the least of us is cared for greatly by a God who is with us. And he says, the swallows, they make a nest for herself. She makes a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. This is a, another picture that he's trying to draw. You know what swallows were known for back then? The same thing here. I, I used to uh, live uh, near the coast of Massachusetts, and uh, there was a certain breed of swallow that would actually make its it's home in the, in the cliffs, the crags of the rocks that were next to the water. 
And uh, so we'd go down to the beach, and I'd get bored because beaches are boring. I know you like them, but uh, they're, you know, you're just after a while, you're looking at the waves, and that's nice. But if there's not something to do, is anybody with me? Anybody, any fellas in here with me? It's like, come on, can we do something here? I mean, the beach and... So I would spend time, back in the days without screens, watching the swallows. And it was amazing. These things never stopped. Anybody ever watched birds that constantly... I mean, just... I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing. They had to move. And the swallow is one of these busy birds, constantly in motion. And here's what the sons of Korah say about this God who is with us. Here's why they're so fussed about uh, them being with him. is He gives them rest as a swallow who comes to the house of the Lord, finds a place to lay her nest. It's the only time, really, that swallows slow down. Lay some eggs, fertilize, or whatever, warm the eggs. It's the only time it really slows down. And they need a safe place. And God, in his temple, his presence is that safe place. God is our oasis. And, and when we get busy trying to fix all of our problems on ourselves, he just says, hey, 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 settle down. Settle down, little swallows. Come to me. Let me be your rest. Let me carry your burden. Come to me. I'll be with you. I got this lazy board chair in the corner of my bedroom. It is a death trap. If you lay down or sit down on that thing and kick the, the whatever, your feet up, you're gone. It's just, I, I defy you, stay awake in that chair. It's just not gonna work. And I know that when I come home on certain days, especially if the house is empty and Eleanor's you know, uh, uh, off you know, uh, work or not coming home for a little while, and Cooper's at class or something like that, I got the house to myself um, and I've had a long day, where do I go? Soft chair. And even though it's like, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock just after work, I might even uh, take a quick 15-minute uh, nap. Just to, and it, it just kind of, I defrag my hard drive. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is that an old thing? Does that still happen? Anyway, I just kind of slow down. I take a breath. God's everybody's lazy boy chair. He's the place where you and I can slow down, catch our breath and find our refuge and strength. It goes on, verse four, it says, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever sing in your praise. Even in pain we can rejoice as those blessed to be in the presence of a God who is able to carry us through whatever we face. So God's with us. Let's make a fuss about being with him. Just one more thing here. Uh, he says, blessed are those who dwell in your house, those who understand your presence is with them and who live in light of it. And as a result of God being with us, we should ever be singing his praises. We sing this song in here. Your praise will ever be on my lips, right? And here at church, I, I think that's hopefully true of us. When we come in, we sing the songs. But did you, know, did you know that you can leave this place and still sing the songs? I would say this. You should leave this place, and you should sing the songs. Because the songs are just great reminders of this Emmanuel, this God who is with us. Drive down, you know, 60 tomorrow and head off to work uh, over to St. Pete, singing this song, Lord, you're mighty. Lord, you're mighty. This guy in front of me drives like an idiot. The Lord, you're mighty, right? Lord, you're mighty, right? You just, you know, riff. Have fun with it. But sing his praises. Sing the reminders. We sing all kinds of songs. I'm amazed at how many uh, songs, if you start, you know, the first bar of an 80s uh, song, I can finish, like, way too much of it. Is anybody with me? No. Well, we got the songs that praise our God. Maybe we ever be singing 
his praise. Second thing that we see here in this psalm is the reason that I uh, wanted to preach this psalm to you. Uh, if God is with me, here's some, another Emmanuel implication. If God is with me, uh, then this is true. It's all good, even if all is not. God is, if God is with me, everything's going to be fine, even if everything isn't fine. It's a great paradox of the Christian life. Circumstances just can just be a mess. You got the, the wrong situation happened in work. You got the wrong diagnosis when you went to the doctor. You got too much month and not enough check. Whatever your stuff is, we all came in here with ours, right? But here's the truth. Because God is with us, it's all good, even if it's not all good. Look what it says. It says here as they go on, it says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. It's it's shifting now. He's, he's, uh, the, the sons of Korah said, you know, it's so great to just be in your house. I'm so blessed to be here. You, you, you take care of the birds. Uh, you, you, you are an oasis for us. Uh, but, but I want to turn my eyes now uh, away from the temple. If they're standing in their door uh, that they're the keepers of and looking inside the temple, now they're looking outside the temple, and they're looking to the roads that lead to the temple, and they're, they're seeing the pilgrims who would come to this city called Zion uh, to the temple three times a year. The Israelites would journey from wherever they lived uh, to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the festivals, to make sacrifices on behalf of them and their families. And um, he, he applauds them. Blessed are those who strengthen you as they walk these highways uh, into Jerusalem. Uh, little known fact about uh, worship back then, if, if you wanted to go to church, you didn't get in your car and drive however many miles from this campus to where you live and, and just kind of show up for a couple hours. Uh, if you wanted to go to church these three times a year, uh, you perhaps lived miles, uh, hundreds of miles uh, away from Jerusalem, and you had to close up shop and walk. How about that? Anybody here walk to church this morning? Some of you might. You live next door. But they would walk to the temple. And when they would leave, they would leave certainly servants and things like that, but they would leave everything that was theirs behind, their homes, their flocks, and they would have to trust God to care for those things as they leave. There's no app that can show them the inside of their house through their security cameras, right? They just leave. And then not only that, they have to trust God for the journey that they would be cared for by him as they walked towards the temple. Those who made the pilgrimage, uh, who found strength and confidence in this God who was with them, uh, they were to be blessed uh, because their hearts uh, were their GPS when it came to finding the temple. Their hearts are the highways to Zion. It goes on and it says this, as they go through the valley of Baca, as they go through the valley of Baca, we've got to figure out what that is. Is that like a Chewbacca? I don't know what that is. Anyway, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs, and the early rain also covers it with pools. You ever read the Bible and you've been like, huh? Anybody ever had a huh first? Huh? What is the valley of Baca? Well, if you took the time to uh, read some of the books that you know, I have the privilege of having, you'd, you'd find some smart guys who could help you understand these things. And the smart guys say this, that the, the word baka is actually a Hebrew word uh, that is very close to another Hebrew word that uh, basically means tree, specifically a mulberry tree. Mulberry trees were these trees that would kind of grow up in very desolate places, uh, and they, would, uh, uh, they, were, they were known for the fact that they were full of sap. And so at different times in the year, that sap would actually ooze out of their trunks and so the mulberry tree in Israel became known as the weeping tree. 
The baca is the weeping tree. And so it says here, as they go through the valley of weeping trees, it's a picture of desolation, a picture of um, darkness and struggle and pain. In fact, if you, if you just study the Bible, uh, not always 100%, but most of the time, uh, good things, mountains. Bad things, valleys. Like what's the most popular valley in the Bible? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of... Yeah, it's not popular, but it's the best known, I guess. Now, when you think valleys, you think darkness and death and, and danger, trepidation. When you think mountains, you think Moses on Mount Sinai, or Jesus on the Mount of Olives, or Jerusalem being situated at the top of a hill. That's why you're always going up to Jerusalem. No matter which direction you're coming from, it's up, because it's on a mountain. God is seen as being met with on the mountains. We are seen as going through trial in our valleys. So the psalmist here writes, hey, even though you walk through the valley of tears, the valley of weeping trees, here's what you do. If you understand that God is with you, you make it a place of springs. And the early rain also covers it with pools. Don't you love the people who are able uh, uh, to make... Uh, uh, you know, good things from bad. The people who are able to see the, the, the silver lining in their clouds, don't you just envy those people? Those who are able to say, you know what? Uh, like Job at the end of chapter one of his book, naked I came into this world and naked I shall return. return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I just lost everything. But still, his praise will ever be on my lips. Right? Don't you love those people? Don't you want to be one of those people? Just so you know, because God is with you, you can be one of those people. These pilgrims would walk through these hard times, and as uh, the sons of Korah are looking, you know, perhaps down the road and, and seeing these who have struggled and journeyed, uh, he, they know that they have done it in the strength that God gives them, in the confidence that they have in the God who is with them. Jesus talked about the fact that it's going to be hard in life. Come on. He said, in this world you will have tribulation and trouble. It's going to be difficult. But he says this, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I'm amazed at how often in my life good things have come from bad. And if you have the, you know, that, that uh, you know, ability to look back, that hindsight being 2020, whatever that saying is, right? If you can look back, most of the ways that I grew the most in my relationship with Christ, even in my relationship with my spouse, my wife, my beautiful wife, Eleanor, uh, my kids, it, it wasn't through the good times, though those were, those were great, I celebrate those, but it was through the hard times. It was in those years when we first moved away from family, from central Illinois to Texas, uh, that we really got to know each other. That was through some of the disappointments in our marriage, uh, that we really uh, sought to bond with each other and seek God for our needs as husbands and wives. It's, it's through the hard things that God brings the good things. And I love hearing the reports of the good things. I sat with a young husband uh, just this past weekend. He doesn't go to our church, but uh, he had uh, you know, gone through some really difficult things with his relationship with his wife, and uh, it had come to the point where they had separated. And, and when he first came to see me, uh, you can just imagine, you know, he was broken and angry and confused. He was in pain. We talked through that first time and prayed for God to lead him through the things that he needed to uh, learn and, and become so that their relationship could work the way God intended. 
Well, it's about three months later, and uh, he uh, texted me this past week and wanted to talk again. I got to sit down with him. And I don't know if you've ever sat with someone through some hard times. You kind of expect, you know, the update on the hard times. Maybe they've gotten a little bit better, but still working on them, right? And so I was kind of getting ready for more encouragement, but he came in and he just encouraged me with all the things that God had done, even in the three months uh, that he had been going through this turbulent time. He, he said things uh, that are the marks of a mature person. He was very self-aware and he admitted his flaws and he talked about the ways that he wanted to improve them. And we both just marveled at the fact that God would do this even in a short amount of time. And things aren't perfect. Things aren't ever perfect, right? But God is perfect and God is able and God is leading him through his valley. I'm grateful for that. It says there that the early rain also covers uh, this valley with pools. It talks about God sending um, sustenance and, 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 and the rains to, to provide for these who are in their dry times. Um, here's what I think the psalmists are getting at. Listen, when you're going through a hard time, dig some holes. Dig some holes and just wait for God to fill them with what you lack. Another way of saying that is, listen, when you're going through hard times, show God your faith and just watch and see as he shows his faithfulness to you. You know, a lot of times I'm, I'm, I'm not a blab it and grab it preacher. I'm not saying that if you uh, plant a seed that he's going to, you know, reward you every time. That's a prosperity gospel. We don't preach that here. But I will tell you that God often, before he provides for us, asks us to show him in faith that we believe he can. Like uh, there's this guy in, in, uh, in the book of, uh, I think, 2 Samuel. He's, he goes to visit the prophet Elijah, and, and his name's Naaman. He's a Syrian, and, um, or Elisha. I can never get those guys straight. They should have different names. Anyway, uh, But anyway, he goes to see the prophet, and he says to the prophet, hey, I'm, I've got leprosy. He had leprosy. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. And I'd love to be healed. I'm, I'm not a, an Israelite. I'm not a Jew. But I, I hear that you have all these amazing powers and that you are able to, uh, to do things that no one else can explain. So could you uh, ask your God if he would heal me? And so the prophet goes and says, yeah, uh, here's the deal. Uh, God says that he'll heal you. You just have to go down to the Jordan River and take a bath. And the Syrian looks at this prophet of Israel and he says, you want me to bathe in the Jordan? Apparently, uh, the Jordan River was really dirty. He says, there's way better rivers up where I live in Syria. Let me go up there and bathe. And the guy says, listen, I'm, not, I'm just the messenger. If you want to be healed, here's what you've got to do. You've got to show your faith. The Syrian leaves, Naaman leaves, and he's angry. And he's, he's heading back to Syria. And one of his servant girls, the Bible tells us, says, hey, Naaman, what do you got to lose? Go take a bath, bro. You're going to die of leprosy otherwise. Paraphrase. <laughs> and so he does. He steps out in faith. I would even call it an unwilling faith. But he steps out in faith. And God heals him of his leprosy. You know, a lot of times as we're walking through our hard times, we just need to walk in faith, trust, and just wait for God to fill those pools with his faithfulness. It says in verse 7 that they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. They finish the journey. And even though they go through hard times, it doesn't make them weaker. Those hard times don't make them weaker. They started strong. They went through a hard time. They got stronger. It's like James. Blessed are you when you experience various trials because it's going to teach you and give you endurance and help you with the next things. You get stronger and stronger. The last thing is this. God is with me. 
so I will trust him with my life. Here comes the familiar part of this psalm. Let's skip down to verse 10. It says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Anybody singing the song yet? Yeah. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper. There it is. Outs himself. I'm a doorkeeper. I'd rather be just this menial janitor laborer in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of wickedness. What he's basically saying is, just give me a little bit of the presence of God. Just give me just a glimpse of who God is and what he's got for me. I'll take that over everything else that the world could offer. He says, verse 11, for the Lord, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. And no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. I love those two descriptors of God. He's a son. We can say, you know, at least three things about God being our son. He's, he's the giver of life. Everybody understands that vegetation doesn't grow without the sun. And life here on earth would die without the, the, the light of the sun. But uh, he's not just our life. He's our light. As you go through these dark valleys, these hard times, these troubles and pains, uh, he's the beacon that leads you through them. He may not always remove them from you, but he will walk with you and lead you through whatever you face. He's our joy. Can't tell you how many times I've, I've been out in Florida and it starts to rain. It's just like Florida, you know? Every day at four o'clock in certain months of the year, it's gonna rain. And uh, sometimes I'll, I'll be out in the yard working or I'll be, uh, you know, if God allows, I'll be on a golf course golfing and, and I'll think this is the one day that it's not gonna rain. Of course it rains, right? And so you go park under a tree or you go inside with your lawn half mowed, and what do you do? You wait for it to stop. Why? Because behind those clouds and all the breakdown that is a, a rainstorm is the sun. And the clouds are going to keep moving and the sun stays put. And as soon as the storm breaks, you can go back to doing whatever it is that you are doing. We all have the joy of the sun coming out in our storms. We all have the joy of waking up to the sun rising with each day. The prophet Annie said, the sun will come out tomorrow, right? Good, you're listening. But he's not just our son, he's our shield. He's our shield, he's our protector. And so he may not remove us from the trouble. He may not immediately take away your pain, but you can stand behind him. You can uh, let him plow as you follow. He's our shield. He's the Lord of hosts, verse 12. And blessed is the one who trusts in him. I don't know if you've memorized scripture. That's a good one to memorize. Let's memorize it together. Ready? Everybody say it with me. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. One more time. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the one who trusts in you as you walk through your valleys, as you uh, wrestle with the circumstances of your life. You know what my prayer for you would be? That you would remember that God is with you, that he is able when you are not, that you would quote this verse, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I will trust in you for what only you can give. You know, we're all in the same boat. None of us have it figured out. I got my troubles, you got yours. We're wrestling with them on a daily basis sometimes. But all of us have the same God who is with us. And better is one day in his courts 
than a thousand anywhere else. Better is just being a doorkeeper in his house than having everything that this world can offer. Will you stand with us as we sing? Sing that song with us this morning. Maybe that's the song you sing this week. Maybe that's the reminder that you and I need, that God is with us. And I don't know what your pain is today. I don't know what you're facing. But I know you don't face it alone. God is with you. His church is with you. We'd love to help you. You can come and talk to me in the corner. You can go see our people in our prayer room. We would love to encourage you as you walk through the stuff that you have in life. But we walk in the confidence that God is our Emmanuel. He is with us. And if he is with us, who can come against us? Amen? Let's pray. God, thanks so much for the chance to join you this morning, to be reminded of your presence. May we walk encouraged by this fact, God. May we walk uh, in light of, of the joy that we have in your constant, um, <laughs> always, uh, present presence. Uh, uh, even as your rain falls on our roof, uh, we recognize that you uh, make uh, your grace rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous, that you give mercy and hope, uh, that you are always with us. So uh, may we walk with you this week. May we uh, seek you uh, in those struggles that perhaps we've just kind of been uh, flitting about like a swallow, trying to fix ourselves. Help us to trust you and to rest in you. Give us your strength, I pray. And I pray in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.